want us to pray just before we begin today for Laura Lee Lashbrook. Uh, she's got just horrible, horrible chest pains, and uh, uh, it's better that you don't call. She, you know, she's because she can't. It's too hard for her to talk, and breathing is really difficult. They're having some tests done and everything to try and figure out what exactly is wrong with her, you know. But if you would be praying for her, that would be absolutely helpful. We, we're believing God for a miracle. The Lord has already brought her through a ton. All of the surgeries, all the chemotherapy, all the radiation, everything she's had because of the cancer she had, uh, she's gone through so much. Now she's having these terrible chest pains, and we just need to pray that God will absolutely heal her. Would you just join me as we prepare to share the word together? Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we come in that name because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we could be saved. It's the very name on which we, we call upon for every type of salvation we need, whether it's spiritual, healing physically, relational. Lord, you are the salvation of our life, and we thank you for it. And so we do, Lord, pray for Laura Lee today. And we pray that, Lord, you would minister to her and help her, Lord, and heal her. Lord, whatever that is that's causing pain in her chest, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take it from her and that you would give her strength. You have already, Lord, done so much for her. I pray that as Paul wrote to the Philippians, that, that they could know this, that, Lord, you would finish the good work. You would complete the good work that was began, begun in them. Lord, I pray you'd complete the good work that you began in in Laura Lee, and that she would be totally and completely healed of everything that has come upon her body. And we would praise you for it, Lord. And so be with her, help her, encourage her. And Lord, we pray today as we look at your word together that, Lord, we would learn and grow together. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight, by the way, at the annual celebration, annual business meeting, uh, you're all welcome to come to that. We'll be voting for uh, two board positions. Let's see if uh, is Cecil here in this service. He's next service, maybe. Uh, so there's Cecil. I think most of the guys that are running are probably in the second service today. Uh, but Cecil uh, Stevens is is on that ballot. He's been serving us wonderfully. A good, terrific board member. Uh, there's an open spot. Gary. New Bill had been serving, and uh, Gary was a marvelous man, uh, but he's not running on this ballot. A terrific, terrific man. And uh, so there's a Marty Munson. He and Terry are in Hawaii today. And so they are uh, there uh, enjoying, enjoying that time. Uh, Dave Henderson Jr. is on the ballot. So uh, Cecil... Dave Henderson, Marty, and uh, Brandon uh, Newbill. The four of them are on the ballot. So pray that God gives direction as the congregation votes for two of those uh, four men for the board position tonight. <clears throat> We've been talking about dealing with challenging people. We talk about that because it, one thing, if we, if we could remember anything in terms of what Jesus 
calls upon us for. It is this. He said, if, if you will just love God with all your heart and love people, then everything that, that God would ever expect of us would be taken care of just because you loved God and you loved people. Now, we all know that loving God, you know, okay, I mean, even though sometimes we, we wish God would do something different or whatever, loving God is easy, uh, basically. But loving people can be challenging at times. How many have discovered that sometimes it's challenging loving people? You've, you've found that out. It can be the case. And so what we're talking about is dealing with challenging people. And, and so we talked about one group of people, those who are critical. It's like, it just doesn't matter what you do. They always think you should have done it differently. And no matter what your intentions were, no matter how good you, you, you thought through it, no matter how hard you worked at it, no matter how long you prayed for it, it doesn't matter. They're going to criticize you because they criticize everything. It's just a part of the way they do life. They just critical, critical, critical. And so we talked about how you deal with people that are critical. Then we talked about last week people that are overly needy. And uh, overly needy people uh, are different than those who are just needy or even those who are desperately needy. Because Jesus said that there will be the poor among us and there will be needy people all the time. As long as this world is the way it is, there's going to be needy people. So it's not about the fact that people are in need. It's about those who are overly needy. And the overly needy are those that are something beyond desperately needy. They are, they are dysfunctionally needy. They are needy to the degree that it doesn't matter how much help you give them, they never get traction in life because they become so accustomed to living within the framework or the, the context of their neediness, they wouldn't know what to do if they, didn't, if they weren't needy. I, I, in fact, I know, and I, and I can say it here, but I know a pastor that, uh, and his wife that uh, I frequently have to uh, talk with. They live a long ways from us here, so you, they don't know you and you don't know them. But I, I kind of start feeling like they don't think that they are actually doing church unless they have drama in the church. I feel like if they don't, I, it almost feels to me like if there's no drama in the church, they think something's wrong, and so they find ways to stir it up. You know, it's like, it's like come on. They, you know, they, get so, they get so needy, overly needy, in terms of how they do life, that even though they love the Lord and they're good people, they approach life from, an, from kind of a dysfunctional way at times. And they're so, the, how do you deal with people that are overly needy? Today, we're talking about people who are manipulative. Manipulative people. To be manipulative means this. To influence others in an unfair manner so as to control the outcome in your favor. A manipulative person is someone who is trying to influence others in an unfair manner so as to control the outcome in their favor. Manipulation. How many here know somebody that, that you think probably sometimes relationally gets a little bit manipulative? How many know someone like that? Mm -hmm. 
And the rest of you are just not wanting to be honest because where you're sitting, you don't want somebody to see you raise your hand. <laughs> you know, I, you know yeah, we, we all have encountered people who tend to be a little bit manipulative at times. And it doesn't mean, again, that they're bad people. In fact, some of them actually are really good people, decent people, and they actually are thinking they're doing you a favor. And we'll look at some, at, at some examples of that today. They absolutely believe they're doing you a favor, but in doing so, they're really trying to, it, it, maybe not just really being honest with themselves, but they're actually doing themselves a favor because if they can get you to do what they think is best and what they think is right, then they're more comfortable and they're happier. And so they end up manipulating through a wide variety of ways that we'll look at today. And, and how do you deal with them? In the New Testament, we see an example of it in the life of King Herod. Uh, Herod had married his brother's wife. So she, her name is Herodias. So you have Herod and Herodias. And Herodias was actually married to Herod's brother Philip and was still married to him. But while she was still married to him, she... Uh, uh, ends up becoming married to Philip's brother. And she moves in with King Herod in the palace in Jerusalem. Now, John the Baptist told Herod and Herodias that this is not right. This is wrong. Herodias cannot be married to two men at the same time and move in with the second one and ignore the first man she actually was lawfully married to. And John the Baptist told them this, and, and both of them were very unhappy with John the Baptist for that. They, they were uh, very unhappy to the degree that Herodias actually wanted Herod to execute John the Baptist and John the Baptist didn't really want to do, or, John, or Herod didn't really want to execute John the Baptist because too many people liked him. But he had to kind of satisfy Herodias a little bit. So instead of having him executed, he arrests John the Baptist, puts him in the palace prison. And, uh, and in kind of a quirky way, he, uh, Herod both liked John the Baptist and didn't like him. I think he was kind of amused by John the Baptist to some degree. But he, he didn't like him because he was interfering with his life. He wants to be able to have whatever woman he wants in his life. And so Herod has John the Baptist in prison. Herodias wants him executed. Well, Herod is going to have a birthday. So what does Herod do? He throws a big drunken party for himself. And when he throws this big party for himself, he ends up having Herodias' daughter come and dance at the party. And so you got a bunch of lust-filled, drunken men watching this young lady dance, and they're all so happy about it that Herod blurts out in front of everybody to this young lady. He says, he says to Herodias' daughter, you know what, I'm so grateful for what you've done. It's marvelous. You know, you've blessed us so much. I'm so happy about it. I will give you, I will give you whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. I'll give it to you. She runs right out, immediately tells her mother Herodias and says, you know what uh, your husband there, uh, King Herod said? He said, because I've danced for him, he's so happy about that, he'll give, he'll give me whatever I want. What should I ask for? Herodias hates John the Baptist so much that it didn't even, didn't even have to 
She didn't have to think about it. She said, go back real quick, tell him what you want is John the Baptist's head on a platter and you want it now. So she went back in, this drunken party's going on. She goes in front of Herod and in front of everybody, she says, hey, this is what I want. I want John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. And so Herod, he now regrets that he had said what he said. Because he really doesn't want to kill John the Baptist because there are too many people out there that really like John the Baptist. And even though he's not happy with him, again, he kind of, there's, there's something about him that he just kind of likes. I don't know if it's, it's the sport of having a guy that's telling him he's doing wrong or what, but he, he kind of likes having him around, but he's not happy with him and doesn't like him. But he already said this and he said it in front of all these people. So he has, he's, he now is caught between a rock and a hard place. Herodias is manipulating him. And he's got no choice. So he says, okay. So he sends the executioner. They go out. They drag John the Baptist out of the prison cell. They chop off his head. They put it on a platter. They bring it in. It's given to Herodias' daughter. She takes the head over and gives it to her mother. I mean, what a gruesome, ridiculous thing that they wanted. But Herodias was manipulating Herod to get what she wanted. If you go to the Old Testament, you read the story of Samson. Samson was a man that God used powerfully to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And yet at the same time, he was a man that, was, that had all kinds of, of uh, lustful things and arrogance. And, you know, he, was, he definitely was not a perfect man in any fashion at all. Uh, but God used him. And he, uh, he fell in love with, with this Philistine woman named Delilah. And, uh, and it was just kind of a convenient thing for her. And so the Philistines said to her, look, we'll pay you a whole lot of money if you can find out what it is that gives him his strength. And so she says, sure, you know, bet, I'll do it. I'll collect the money and find out. So she went and on three different occasions, she tried to entice Samson to find out what it was that gave him his power. But she, Samson, every time, he was playing with her, and, and uh, he wouldn't tell her. And so finally, on the fourth occasion, here's what she says to him. Judges chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. I'm reading it in the New Living, the New Living Translation. It says this. Then Delilah pouted. Well, there you go. Right away, you know we got some manipulation coming. Her bottom lip curls under, and she, her mouth turns down, and she's pouting, woe is me, you know, you're just a big old meanie, you know. She's pouting. She's getting ready to work him. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. So notice what she does. She pouts and says, How can you say you love me when you don't tell me what's the source of your strength? And she torments him and nags him and bugs him and bugs him about it all the time until finally he just can't put up with it anymore and he finally caves in 
How many of you understand what that's like? You've been on the, on the, on the Samson end of, of somebody bugging, 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 you know, working you, working you, working you until you finally get exactly, until they finally get what they wanted. It's certainly, it, it's certainly no fun. It isn't something anybody enjoys being a part of. It, here's, here's what I'd like you to do. Everyone lift your... Uh, why don't you lift your left hand? Everyone lift your left hand in the air. Now take your right foot and lift it six inches off the floor. Mm-hmm. Then take your, your, right, your right pointy finger and touch your nose. Yeah. See, thank you, Barry. See, see, how does it feel to get worked? You know? Don't you just enjoy it when somebody just kind of gets you to do what they want. I mean, it's just kind of, it's no fun. You think, not now, from now on, you're going to say, I'm not going to do what he wants me to do ever again. I'm not going to do it. You know, it, it, it's, you know, sometimes people just, they manage to get you to do what they want at your expense, and uh, they, they just seem to be good at it, and they pull it off. And you kind of know it sometimes. And, and sometimes, like Samson, or certainly like Herod, we, we end up regretting that we got worked again, but we did. And so the question really is, is, is that how do we deal with manipulators? They're not, they don't always, always mean bad. They aren't always intending to be evil, but, but they tend to work us and you get to doing things that you really didn't feel like you were going to, should have done. First thing we need to understand is what are the tools of a manipulator? The first one is threats threats. People who manipulate others, one of their tools is threats. Either direct or indirect, they make threats. I remember when I was a young youth pastor here at this church, and I was probably 24, maybe 25 years of age, it was on one of my days off. It was on a day off. I was at home. I can see exactly where I was, uh, and I was where I was talking on the phone because somebody had called. Of course, that was before cell phones and all that. And I'm I'm standing in the kitchen where our phone hung on the wall. I'm talking on the phone. I gotten a call at my house from a man that I had never met before. I didn't know him, and I uh, I don't know how he even got my phone number, but he got my phone number and he called me. And, and what he said is, is that he was going to commit suicide. Now, I'm 24, 25 years old. I'm a, I'm a young pastor. I want to serve God. I, I'm filled with wanting to save lives uh, spiritually and in any other way that I possibly can. And this guy is telling me he's going to commit suicide. I'm talking with him. I'm talking with him. I probably talked to him for maybe a half an hour. And he is going, and he and I are talking and talking, and he's making all these threats about suicide. And, and I can't even remember the whole conversation, but this I remember. He said to me finally, he said, probably after about a half an hour of talking to me, he said, have you ever heard anyone commit suicide? I said, well, no, no, I have not. He says, well, you're about to. And I heard him put the phone down. And, and, and it was dead silence on the other side of the phone. And I just knew, I knew, I knew I was going to hear a gunshot in the next few moments. And I was telling Arlene, I mean, I was just 
shaken. And I told Arlene, we've got to find a way. Go next door. Mary Russell lived right next to us. Go next door. Uh, get, use Mary's phone number. Call the church. Get a hold of Pastor Mallman. You know, we got to figure out what to do with this. She ran next door using Mary Russell's phone and calling. And I'm on the phone. And it's absolutely silent. And it was probably... I'd say a good minute easily went by with no sound at all. And finally the man comes back on the phone and he said, well, he said, I've decided that, you know, if, if you'll come downtown and meet me at wherever it was he wanted me to meet him, uh, he said, then, then I'll, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll be willing to talk with you some more and, and wait on the suicide, you know, if, if you'll come down and talk to me. Now, when he told me that, and I had just gone through this period of absolute silence on the phone, thinking I was going to hear a gunshot any moment, frankly, now I'm mad. In some ways, I, I, don't, I know this really sounds bad, but in some ways, he'd have been better off if he'd have done it, because I was very mad at that point. I mean, it was, uh, I was very happy, but at the same hand, I know in that moment, he's working me. And he was shaking up my world uh, in order to get me to do something he wants. And, and so we ended up talking just a little bit longer, and I finished out that, that phone call and I hung up. And yet in the back of my mind, I still was worried. I checked the newspaper the next morning. I watched the news. I fully expected over the next couple of days that maybe I was going to hear of somebody committing suicide. Uh, and, and I didn't, and I was relieved, greatly relieved, because I did not want to be at the wrong end of, of that issue. You know, you don't want to. You don't want somebody calls out to you for help, and then, then you, you're unable to help them, and they actually go through on it. You'd, that's devastating. And, and so the good news is that I didn't hear anything. Probably a month or two went by, and over the course of that month or two, uh, just, you know, getting back to normal. And then I was talking to another youth pastor of a different church here in Spokane. And uh, I think it was the, I believe it was the Glad Tidings uh, Assembly of God youth pastor. And, and he and I used to kind of hang out together. And, I, and, he, and he was telling me that just a couple of days, or this is a couple of months past my deal. And he's telling me that, that a few days earlier, I had this guy call him and he's starting to review the story. And I said, and he told you, have you ever heard anybody commit suicide and put the phone down and it was dead silent for a while? You expected you were going to hear a gunshot and pretty soon he says, and I'll meet you. So he comes on and, and, and oh, you know what, I'll meet and he told, And he says, yeah, exactly. How did you know? So because it happened to me, he actually went downtown, met the guy, the guy wanted money, and so he found ways to give the guy some money, and so the guy wouldn't commit suicide. And all that was going on was pure manipulation. People using threats to get you to do what they want. The guy never intended to commit suicide. He was finding young youth pastors in the Spokane area that he knew wanted to do well with God. He didn't call senior pastors. He was finding the youth pastors, knew they were too inexperienced to deal with it, and was manipulating them to get money. That's what it was. It doesn't make you feel very good. I wasn't very happy. It, you, nobody likes to get manipulated. They use threats. 
It works someone saying to you, look, either you do this, I know, I, what do I want you to do? I want you to cut these corners, shortcut this. It's not real legal, so I don't want you to do this. I'm going to pay this under the table, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And you either do it the way I want you to do it, or I'm going to fire you. Threats. At home, you know, a parent saying to a child, look, and the parent, that maybe the child is full grown. You either do what I want, or I'm going to cut you out of my will. Threats. Uh, at, at home, in a marriage. You, you either give me what I want or I'm not going to give you what you want. Threats. Uh, you, church, you either do what I want and you either do it the way I think you should and you say what I think you should say and you, and you do everything exactly the way I'm thinking it should be done or we'll leave this church and go down the street to some other church. Threats. See, all of that is manipulation, and it's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's one of the tools of manipulators. Another one is this, guilt. Guilt. If you really loved me, then you would. It's exactly what, what Delilah was doing uh, to Samson. If you really loved me, then you would. Another one that, that people would say, after all I've done for you, after all I've done for you, are you telling me that now you won't for me? You know, guilt. You know, I thought we were close, but obviously we're not as close as I thought we were. Guilt. If you really love Jesus, well, you'd be at every single thing that I do and post and put on at this church. If you really love Jesus, every time we did whatever, you'd be there and you, you'd, 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 you'd be there because if you really love Jesus, it's guilt. It's guilt. God doesn't want us to serve him and love him out of guilt. You know, uh, guilt doesn't come from God. There is now no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus. So there's guilt. God doesn't operate that way. It's one of the tools of manipulators. A third one is the silent treatment. Just not going to talk to you then. You know what? I don't like you. I'm not happy with you because you're not doing what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, how I want you to do it. And, I'm, and so, you know what? I'm just not going to talk to you. Talk to the hand. You know? You know, uh, it's one of the tools of a manipulator. People use these tools to get others to do things that is in my favor. It's not a healthy way to do relationship. So what are the biblical responses that we can use to break the power of, manipula of a manipulating person? Observation number one. Recognize when someone's trying to control you recognize when someone's trying to control you because that's what's going on someone wants to control you to do what they think you ought to be doing the way they like it to be done what what how do you deal with that what what is the way you do that well first thing is recognize when someone is trying to control you because when when you say well well, duh, you know, I mean, we should know that. You know, some people don't really realize it. They don't stop to think for a minute. You know, they, they are such people pleasers. How many people pleasers are out here today? I, I know I'm one. You know, I'm a people pleaser. And, and people pleasers in particular are really vulnerable, vulnerable to manipulation. 
And so, you know, they, they, they tend to, to fall prey to it, and you have to recognize it when it's happening. Here it is, Matthew 16, verse 21 through, and 22. It's out of the life of Jesus and Peter and their relationship. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Normally, I like to read from the New King James Version, but the New Living Translation you know, writes some of these stories in uh, very readable kinds of ways. And so I want you to capture the, the, uh, the way that this, is, this unfolded. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day would be, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. So Jesus is telling his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going, to, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get to Jerusalem, all the religious leaders are going to arrest me, they're going to brutalize me, beat me up bad, and they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead. Now, Peter probably didn't even hear the raise from the dead part. Probably didn't even hear that. And so what does he do? He does this. He says, Jesus, can we talk for a minute? Excuse us, fellas. Jesus, can we just talk for a minute? gets Peter, he gets Jesus over here, he says, now Jesus, listen, stop talking like that. That's ridiculous. That is not going to happen. And later on, at the Last Supper, he goes so far as to say, Jesus, that's ridiculous. Come on. First off, I'm not going to stumble, and secondly, I'll, I'll, I will die to have your back. I got your back. I'll die for you, so don't you even worry about dying, because if anybody's going to die, I'll die protecting you. You know what I mean? So he pulls him off to the side. Do you know one of, the, one of the tactics of really making manipulation work is isolation? It's isolation. Getting somebody off to the side. And why do you do that? Now, rather people do that intentionally or unintentionally, rather they know what they're doing or not doing, it really works to their advantage because isolation increases the force or the power of their influence. You know, can we talk for a minute? Can I just pull you off here to the side and talk to you for a minute? And you know why it does that is because if you pull them off to the side and say what you want to say to, to get them to do what you want, well, here's what happens. Nobody in the crowd can dispute what you're saying. If you say what you want to say in the midst of the crowd, somebody else's life will say, Peter, what are you doing? What are you talking about? We're, this is Jesus here. Don't be telling Jesus what's up because he's the one who knows what's up. You don't. You know, somebody could have easily risen to the occasion and said, hey, and, and disputed his words. So to make sure that nobody disputes his words, a good manipulator always isolates somebody and they're going to tell you what's up in order to help you out so that they can get you thinking and saying just like you want, just, as like, just like they want. You know, I've had numbers of times as a, as, a, as a senior pastor, a lead pastor, I've had pastors that have worked with me uh, come into my office and say, Pastor, I just want you to know something. I'm here, I'm here to make you look good. Now, my first thought in the flesh is, 
I didn't know I needed any help looking good. <laughs> you know? my, 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 my godly thought is this. This is not about me. I'm not here to look good. I'm here to please the Lord. And I fully am aware of the fact that if I stay on his mission and I do what God wants me to do and I believe it with everything in me, that there's going to be a number of people that are going to disagree with me, criticize me, tell me I'm messed up, tell me I'm not doing right. I get it. But I'm not here to look good. I'm here to do and to say and to be and to lead as I believe in prayer, the Holy Spirit moves upon me. So it's not about looking good. So my next thing is, is I really want to, you know, have a little conversation about what it means to be a pastor. Because we're not here to be people pleasers. Yes, it helps to bless people and please people. But we have a master up above. A wonderful Savior who redeemed our lives for destruction. And our responsibility is to hear him and do what God would have us to do. You see, sometimes, you know, I can, t well, I can tell you this, nobody has ever said to me in a crowd, nobody has ever stood in a crowd, raised their hand in any pastor's meeting and say, Pastor, I just want you to know, I'm here to make you look good. Nobody's ever said that to me in a crowd. They always say that to me alone somewhere. The good news is, you know, I didn't get to be my age, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, like my good friend always says, I, uh, I, I may have been born yesterday, but it wasn't last night, you know, you, you kind of learn a few things over the years, manipulation doesn't work, uh, it shouldn't, it does too often work, but it shouldn't. Here's some keys, you may be manipulated when these things happen. You may be manipulated when you cannot say no to a certain individual. If, if you cannot say no to any individual, then it may well be you are, I'll say it this way, you are under the spell of their manipulation. If you cannot say no, and I, and I would include me in that, if you cannot say no to me, your pastor. You know, that's, that's, that's not healthy. It's not healthy to always say no either. Let me get that straight. But on the other hand, you have, God's given us a brain and he's given us a heart and you're seeking God and you're serving the Lord. You have to know as a healthy, adult, maturing human being what God has given you to do and what you can do and what you can't do. If you can't say no to a certain individual, you're probably getting manipulated. Another one is this. You may be uh, being manipulated when you uh, have a certain person who causes you to feel that if you don't help them, they're going to be worse off. If you don't help this person, it's your fault because you didn't help them and they're worse off. Probably getting manipulated. Another one is if you feel ultimately responsible. Man, if I don't do that, who else is going to do it? If I don't do it, then, then uh, it's, it's going to be terrible. It's, I've got to do it. You're probably getting manipulated. Another one is your values are compromised. 
If somebody is, is wanting you to do some things that compromises the values that you have in the Lord, you're probably getting manipulated. It doesn't mean you should become unteachable. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. We always have to be teachable. We have to understand the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. But, but if, if someone va- is, is uh, compromising values that are obviously godly things, then you're probably getting manipulated. We need to recognize when that happens. Recognize it when it happens. Number two is this. You have to verbalize it. You've got to speak up. You have to say, you know what, and maybe with a little bit of passion, you know what, Um, I think you're manipulating me right now, and that's just not going to work with me. Now, now don't be don't be crazy with that. You know, don't just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean that they're manipulating you. Discern based upon some of the things we've talked about. Are they threatening you? Are, Are they laying guilt trips on you? Are they giving you the silent treatment? If, if that's what's going on, then probably you're getting manipulated. If, if, if you can't say no to them, you're probably getting manipulated. If, if they're making you feel like if, if this doesn't happen, it's your fault, you're probably getting manipulated. All that being true, you verbalize it. You speak up. You know what? I feel like I'm getting worked here, and uh, I just do, I need to talk about that because I don't want to get worked. That's what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He said this in Matthew 16, 23. He turns to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Get thee behind me, as you remember it in King James and New King James. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. He's saying, Peter, Hold the phone. Back this bus up. You're working me right now. You've isolated me over here off to the side so that you could, you, could, you could teach me, so that you could help me to understand. You forgot something here. I'm the Son of God. I'm here to save you, not the other way around. And, and in fact, if I listen to you, I'll be stepping into a trap. But I don't want to step in that trap because I'm on a mission. I am here to die. You don't want me to die? Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. But I am here to die. So don't don't do that to me. It's going to be hard enough. I'm going to be praying here in a little bit saying, Father, if there's any way you can take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. You're not making it easy for me. So no, don't manipulate me. I'm here, I know what the mission is, and I'm going to be right on it. Get behind me, Satan. See, we have to verbalize it. Sometimes you just got to say to people, you know, and, and you can say it with grace. You don't have to be mean-spirited about it, but sometimes you got to say it with a little passion. Sometimes you say, you know what? No. Uh, you're right now trying to throw a guilt trip on me, and the guilt trip isn't going to work. Uh, that means that means I'm not sure you are correct. You may actually have a point to be made, but throwing guilt on me is going to really soil my ability to see what is correct. So no, I, I'm not going to listen to it. Or you're threatening me. I'm sorry. You know, then then no, I'm not going to be moved by threats. You see, you have to recognize it, and we have to mature and grow. If we're going to love challenging people then we have to follow what god does 
and use his example. I wouldn't recommend calling anybody Satan, though. (laughs) Observation number three. Redefining the relationship in closing. Peter, he... he, uh, he got real manipulative with Jesus. He isolates him. He's going to tell Jesus what's up. Jesus was having none of that. He said, no, 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 no. That's, that's not, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Uh, get behind me. You, you don't know what you're talking about. And he, he tells him all that. But you know what? Peter didn't, he still didn't listen. He's still so full of himself. Later on at that Last Supper, when Jesus is saying, look, you know, some things are going to happen. You guys are going to stumble. They're going to kill me. And, Je- and Peter says, no, I'm not going to stumble. I am, I'm not going to stumble. And he tries to look good in front of everybody and say, you know, not only am I going to, I'm not going to stumble, but Lord, I'll, I'll die defending you. And then Jesus had to tell him right in front of everybody, look it, here's reality, Peter. Before the, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. That's what you're going to do. And certainly it happened. Jesus gets arrested. He's getting beat up. And, and, and uh, somebody says, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter says, I don't even know the man. I don't, it's not me. So, and, and again, aren't you one of the, aren't you, you're one of the followers. There's, there's one of the followers of Jesus. Not me. It ain't me. I don't even know the man. A third time it happens. And then he hears the rooster crow. And his heart is crushed because he knows, he knows, he knows now Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus was true. Jesus had it right. He felt horrible about it. He carried it with him. Jesus rose from the dead. He, Peter goes back to fishing. He's carrying all this, this feelings of having failed. And I, I thought I knew so much. And I thought I had it right. And I thought I could protect him. And I thought I could do all this. And I, and I couldn't. I couldn't save him. In fact, I needed him to save me. And he's got all of it upside down in his head and heart. And Jesus calls him from the boat and finally, we find the two of them sitting around a campfire. And Jesus redefines their relationship. Three times. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah. I, I, sure, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, well, you know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. You know, what is, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's making sure that Peter is clear He's clear on who it is that's saving whom and who it is that will save whom and that it's not Jesus working for Peter, it's Peter working for Jesus. So he redefines it all for him. Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Paul says to the Galatians this in closing. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Paul said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. There's, there's a tendency for all of us to want to be good with people, but some people make it so hard because they, they're manipulating. They're manipulating. You want to help them, but you're not serving them well if you keep falling prey to their manipulation. There may be even some here who, who unwittingly, without really giving thought to it, actually use that as a tool in your own relationship. You know, listen to the Holy Spirit today. Don't do that. That's not healthy. 
We, we on one hand say we love the Lord and on the other hand we use unhealthy means of relating to one another. That's, that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to grow up into the full stature of Christ. That means we have to be able to have honest conversation without manipulating one another. And if, and if you unwittingly, without really having thought about it, realize in your own life that maybe, maybe you've been a little manipulating at times. You, didn't, you weren't really thinking that way. You weren't intending that. Today's a good day to say, Jesus, forgive me for that. Help me, Lord, to not do that again. Help me, Lord, to live an honest, straightforward relationship with other people. And if you're someone who's been manipulated, follow the word of God. Follow the word of God. It's a whole lot easier to love people if you're not being saddled with all of the challenge that comes with people who are working you just simply to get you to do what they want into their favor. It's not a healthy way to do relationship. It's not. And is it hard? Sure, it's hard to figure that out sometimes. You know, I, you know I, 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 I say it this way. When Arlene and I got married, I didn't realize this, but we had to go to war. We had, I didn't realize we had to go to war. I was just, yeah, I'll get married. I love her. It's good news. Happily ever after. after. Guess what? Sometimes it wasn't so easy. We had to figure out how to have a healthy relationship. So we had to go to war. She won, and uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's much better, and I'm married to my best friend. I'm married to my best friend because of it. You learn to love. You learn to love. Bow your heads with me. This morning... Uh, if, if you find in your own life with, with no ill intent you, you just didn't know you weren't thinking about it and you, you uh, it wasn't because you were trying to do anything wrong you love the Lord but you know in your own life that, that because of all the stuff that's gone on in your own life you've, you've, you've found that sometimes without realizing it you've used some of the tools of manipulation to express your feelings, to get, get your way, to accomplish what you felt like should be accomplished. Um, and, and you know that. It's a good time to say, Jesus, would you forgive me for that? And, and it wouldn't be all that bad if you said it to somebody that, that maybe you've, you've been guilty of doing that to and say, you know what, uh, I realize that I've at times done this and I really do want to be a, a man of God. I really do want to be a woman of God, and I didn't really see it before, but the Holy Spirit really kind of revealed it to me today. Forgive me for that, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. I'm going to work on that. That's a, today's a good day to do that. If you're a person who's been manipulated, you want to be a people pleaser. God bless you for wanting to, 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 to help people and to be kind and to be, a, to be a blessing and to please people. But your first obligation is to God to none other but God first. Please God. And then, then love others. Because that's what Jesus said. First love God and then love others. Do those two things, you're, you're in good shape. So, so don't, become, don't become a knothead in, in the name of God by any means. 
But be willing to say, you know what? Man, I'm having trouble with that. I, I feel like you're using guilt on me, or I feel like you're, you're using threat on me. I feel, I feel like this silent treatment. I get it, you're unhappy, but, but you know, we've got to figure out how to get through this because we both love Jesus, and there's got to be a better way to manage this. Then you need to step up to the plate and let God work in your heart. Father, we come to you today, and we want to be your children who truly, Lord, in a healthy fashion, can fulfill your word. First off, Lord, by loving you. We, we love you, and we know you're the answer. You're the one who saves us, not the other way around. Would, would you, Lord, help us as we learn to love each other even better? Would you, Lord, help us so that, so that Lord, we can, we can model what it means to be Christians who truly find healthy ways to relate to people in our life. Biblical ways. Not just say we're Christians, but Lord, actually model it. Live it out in every relationship we have. Forgive us where we have become manipulative to others. Forgive us of that, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to that and thoughtful that, Lord, we know when we're doing it and we pull back from that. And yet, Lord, at the same time, for those when times we get manipulated, help us, Lord Jesus, to, to be courageous enough and yet kind as well to say, you know what, no. I, I, that's, I feel like I'm getting worked, and that's not going to help. So that, Lord, people can find a healthy way to forgive, find healing in their relationships, and love one another. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah for Jesus. Next week, we're going to be talking about hypocrites. Yep, so come, come on. Don't, don't. If I, I'm going to watch. We're taking attendance next week. So uh, be sure you uh, show up. No, we're not taking attendance. Uh, God bless you. Stand, give someone a, near, a good squeeze near you. The cafe is open. Enjoy your fellowship with one another.